Welcome to the Getting Off Course podcast. I'm your host, Josh Waldron, and I'm joined today by Jared Dorfler, a former college golfer and the brains behind The Perfect Putt, a free weekly newsletter that breaks down the business side of golf. Jared, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Josh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you're the first Division I golfer I've had on the podcast. So thanks for helping me check that off my bucket list. Your journey to Division I golf is pretty interesting. Can you share that story with my listeners? Yeah, it, it is interesting. So uh, I went to a very small high school in rural Iowa and always dreamt of playing Division I golf. But in rural Iowa, it's kind of tough to get noticed. And I'm not saying that I was good enough because I wasn't good enough. But it's tough to get noticed and to go play on some of those junior tournaments where you will get noticed wasn't really realistic for my family. So um, just try to play as much as I could around the state of Iowa and ended up at a small NAIA school, uh, St. Ambrose University in Davenport. A great program, a tremendous golf coach, had, had a golf scholarship, but what they do at St. Ambrose is pretty unique. So a number of people are on scholarship there. However, every person needs to try out um, every single year, uh, whether you're on scholarship or, or not on scholarship. And so it's the trial is four rounds and, um, you know, you, you got to get in the top 15 and make the team. And I was in 17th going into the final round. There's, there's literally no way I was going to make it. Um, however, it rained five inches overnight. And the coach ended up taking the top 20 after three rounds because the course was unplayable. Um, ended up playing well enough where I had the opportunity to transfer to University of Northern Iowa uh, in the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, and that, that's how I ended up to get to, to a Division I uh, level. You know, usually Mother Nature ruins people's plans, but it uh, sounds like for you it worked out quite well. Yeah, uh, really lucky there. Uh, I'll never get too upset at rain for that. Just uh, kind of a weird, just a weird thing that happened, right? Um, and sometimes you can't explain things in life, you, you know, because not only, not only did that just lead to so many other doors for me, being at Northern Iowa, it kind of shaped who I am today and gave me a lot of different opportunities in life. Um, I had a lot of good people around me uh, at UNI that made me a much better person just all the, the great teammates that I had are now my great friends. And yeah, it's, a, it's just funny how things work out in life. Yeah. So tell me about golf at the college level. How does the game change when you move from a casual round where you might play pretty well playing with friends to collegiate level competition? Yeah. And I think it's probably, you know, pretty similar, at least from my experience, uh, the NAI level to, the division one level, the players are really competitive. Um, you know, there's, there's some spectators, but not many. Um, the courses are always set up really difficult and it's a grind. You know, that's, that's the common denominator in college golf is that it doesn't really matter what level you're playing at. You know, you're going to be playing 36 holes one day and 18 the next. And it's more of a mental battle than anything. Uh, Cause a lot of the, a lot of the guys are really good. They're really talented withstand um, the mental battle for 36 holes in one day. And that's the biggest thing that's, that's different versus, you know, a casual round. Um, and you have to be locked in for, for about 14 hours. 
Um, and that's really, really hard to do. And, you know, if you're not locked in, they can start snowballing real quick and you can get downhill and you start shooting some high scores. Now, and are you walking all these courses? When I was there, yes. So we never had the luxury of taking a cart. Um, I don't know what they're doing now. I think they're more into into carts right now than, than we were when I was there. And I was at Northern Iowa from 2008 to 2011. But, I mean, there's it's long days. I mean, you're, you're out there from about 6.30 in the morning to dark, which, depending on the time of the year, is you know, 7 p.m. or so, 8 p.m., it's a little out of hand. So I think that's why they may be moving to some carts. I don't know the answer to that, but I know that a couple of guys I've talked to recently, they're occasionally taking carts where they're doing 18, 18, 18 to make up that 54 uh, hole format. Wow. So I enjoy misery stories from the golf course. Do you have a college round that went particularly bad? I got, I got plenty of them. So let me let me just clarify something here before we get before we get too carried away. Um, I mean, I do wear it with a with a badge of honor. Uh, I do think it's cool that I that I did play a Division One sport, um, but I really had no business being a Division One golfer. So I want I want that out there. You know, I got really lucky and I ended up playing okay. But you know, Northern Iowa is a, is a school that's um, about you know very mediocre in golf. Um, you know, a little below average. The Missouri Valley Conference. Small school, limited budget, limited scholarships. So, you know, I want that out there that you know I wasn't necessarily uh, somebody that that's that's phenomenal and looking to play uh, professionally. But yeah, I mean, of course, I I've, I had plenty of poor rounds. Though the one that comes to mind that that gets me, you know, I still get rattled um, when I think about it. And it was 2010 when this happened. Prairie Dunes Country Club, Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, Missouri Valley Conference Championship. Wind was blowing about 30, 35 miles an hour from the north. Anyone that's played Prairie Dunes knows the north winds, not necessarily that much fun. And they had the course set up really difficult. It, it was just a wild round of golf. The first round, um, you know, we, we thought we kind of played pretty poor, but we were in, we were in third place. I think we we're only like eight, 10 strokes out of, out of Wichita State. Um, who was kind of the power back in the valley when I was there, and the uh, second second round rolls around, and I fired a ninety four, and let me tell you, that ninety four felt like one hundred and fifty, <laughs> but I couldn't even tell you what happened. It was it was one of the most probably painful processes for my dad to watch. I can only imagine. But the crazy thing is, is so because I looked this up. We had a 94, an 89, an 87, an 83, and an 80. And I, I know that we're a mediocre school, but I, those guys, my teammates, you know, they're all pretty good golfers. Yeah. It was just really difficult. And it's one of those days where, you know, the mental grind uh, got the best of a lot of guys out there. I remember a couple, a couple months later at a, at a tournament in the summer, I was – talking to some Iowa State guys, and they, they were coming home from conference. I think they were in Texas somewhere, maybe Houston. And they said, yeah, we had you up on golf stat. We were, we were, we were uh, now this is what they claim. Who knows if they're telling the truth. They said that, you know, we were rooting for you to break 100. <laughs> but I'm sure it was probably the other way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for a college guy, a D1 guy to shoot 94, I mean, it's, um, it's a little embarrassing. But, you know, you have to kind of wear it. Um, yeah. 
and have to own it, get your ego out of the way okay. a little bit there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was that was tough for me. But, you know, my teammates did a great job, picked me up. And you know what? At the end of the day, you know, no one really played that well. I think – I don't know exactly what won that tournament as an individual. I think it was 13 or 15 over. Okay. Um, it was just tough. I mean, it, yeah. it was snow flurries on the range yeah. and windy. Well, thanks for sharing. I enjoyed that, and I, I appreciate your humility, too. It's, we all have our moments. So you've talked about the mental game a few times already. How do you keep your composure when you feel things slipping away? Do you have any personal tricks that you use? Well, I, I wish I did. So I, I think this is cliche, but this is what you really need to focus on uh, from the mental aspect of it is just really take the next shot next hole at a time. And for whatever reason, for me, I always, always tried to play when things were tough, playing three whole stretches. Maybe that's just because it's a, a number divisible by 18. I don't know. But, you know, try to take it in three whole stretches and then just kind of hit the reset button. That's, that's typically what, what I tried to do. But, I mean, it, it really is. You got you to gotta take your next, your next shot. Like, it's your most important shot out there. And the thing about that is tricking yourself into believing that. Because when things are going really bad, you don't really care uh, about that next shot. And so you got to really trick yourself into believing that. Um, but I think that that's what's really helped me um, in the past is, you know, take, taking everything in three-hole chunks and don't let the tournament uh, become too big. Just focus on, you know, the, the next shot, the next hole. Yeah. Do you follow baseball at all? Have you ever followed baseball? I, I do not. I mean, I followed a little bit uh, here and there, but thing i love about the mlb is that you get the next you're likely playing the next day and so you you get you get a chance to go home at night and just kind of put that game aside and just get after it uh the next day but i don't follow it as closely as i should i'm only bringing it up because you know when i was in college i'm a few years older than you manny ramirez was in his prime and he would step up to the plate in the most crucial moment and it just seemed like mentally it was no different than him walking out and hitting batting practice. Like there was some switch that he was just able to flip where the moment never got to him. And I feel like for some professional athletes, that's the difference between someone who's pretty good and someone who's a pro. Like they just, they get through it. You've shared your, your lowest memory or your worst moment. Do you have a favorite memory from your competitive years? Yeah, I I'd say it's probably probably 2010 Waterloo Open, which Waterloo Open in, in Waterloo, Iowa is it's an interesting event because it's a pro event and it's an amateur event, but it's not a pro am. Um, the amateur event takes part over three days on three courses. The pro event okay. takes course now over three days on one course. And it's it's one of the better purses in golf um, from a professional side. I believe it's between fifty and sixty thousand uh, dollars to the winner. When I mean professional golf from a purse standpoint, I mean development tour. And so there's there's a lot of a lot of guys that come through there and end up on you know either the Corn Ferry or the PGA Tour. So it's a really big deal for the Cedar Valley community in Waterloo. And what's really neat about it is that 
the amateurs end up playing with the professional golfers in the final day. So there's a cut after two days for the amateurs. It's like top 30 in ties or something. And then you, you play with two pros on the Sunday. And it's a big deal for, for Northern Iowa golfers because it's in our backyard and we want to represent the university well. So one of my best friends and teammate won it the year before and we had an absolute blast that night. We, we had too much fun. And so, you know, it was, it was important for me to play well. And I had shot uh, 69, 67, headed into Sunday. And my dad was caddying for me, which is a really cool experience. And we were winning by, we were, we were leading by one as we teed off. We, we played okay on the front. I think we shot about even par, but just had way too many pars. Uh, just couldn't get any birdies to go. And on 10, I made a goofy swing and ended up making a double. Uh, I ended up losing the tournament by two shots i think but it wasn't really that i mean of course i would like to win but having my dad caddy for me who who no longer can can really walk he's he has ms um was a really cool experience for me and and he was he enjoyed it probably more than i did because he gets juiced up for that kind of stuff so just kind of recalling that memory and um you know we, we really enjoyed the walk that day which i think was a lot of fun yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the better the better memories of golf that I had. And plus, there's a lot of spectators at that event. Um, and, and it's really cool kind of interacting with them. But that, that was a memory that I'll always have. Very cool. So I want to talk about your newsletter. I'm an early subscriber to the Perfect Putt email, and I'm really enjoying it. When did you come up with the idea for the newsletter? Yeah, Josh, and I appreciate you being a reader. I came up with it this summer. It's probably about June of 2021. And, you know, I've always been interested in golf. I'm obsessed with it. And I, and I have a weird, a weird liking to business, enjoy business, different facets of business. And so, you know, I, I thought, hey, look, let's just let's start this and see what happens. And um, it's been a lot of fun so far. We're about, about four months in. And uh, it's, it's been a great ride. I've learned a ton, which is kind of one of the reasons why I did it. And, you know, I, kind of one of the things in life is always, you know, make yourself comfortable in, you know, uncomfortable situations. And, you know, writing makes me relatively uncomfortable, makes me relatively vulnerable. But um, it's been a joy to kind of over, overcome that. I wouldn't say conquer it, but sort of conquer a fear of, of writing, I think, in front of an audience. Yeah, you're doing a good job. Who do you, do you have a target audience in mind? Like, who's this newsletter for? So anyone that, that likes golf, right? But not everyone that likes golf is going to like business. So there's there's a little bit of crossover in there because it, it's mostly hitting on the business side of, of golf. So that's really the target audience that, that I'm going after uh, for the newsletter. I noticed that you're using Substack for your platform. Why did you decide to go that route? So Substack's awesome because there's novices and I won't call myself an idiot, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty close to an idiot when it comes to technology. Uh, Substack's awesome because everything is done that, done for you, right? Um, they walk you through the process. You have to maybe pick a couple colors here and there and edit maybe your welcome email and your about me page. Um, but everything is set up for you versus, you know, going another route or even using like a MailChimp or something like that. Um, Substack's kind of mastered the the email newsletter slash blog, if you will, 
and the great thing about Substack is that it's no, it's there's no charge, right? It's free. And their big thing is um, when their their writers, you know, charge a subscription, a monthly fee or yearly fee for t- to read their stuff, is they'll take a cut of that. But if you're free, like I am, you know, they're not necessarily making any money off of me. So Substack's a fantastic platform. It's super easy. And, you know, they, they give a lot of support. How are you choosing your topics each week? So that's been a challenge. And I'm not sure if it's because when I started it or if that's how it's probably going to be in the future. You know, I started Perfect Putt in the beginning of August. And, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot going on in the golf world from, from here to August outside of the Ryder Cup. Um, of course, there's been a lot that's that's going on, I mean, within the game. But, you know, the tournament schedule, it's kind of lighter right now. And so it's been a challenge to keep up with current events that are relevant from the business side that are also intertwined with golf. So one thing that I do is I, I try to keep, you know, myself disciplined and hold myself accountable and give myself 20 to 30 minutes, you know, each day just to look and see what's going on in the industry. I look at some various sites and sources to understand if anything's breaking in the business industry and if there's any acquisitions or if there's any new products out there that are, you know, might might be interesting, any new announcements. So I'm always trying to look at that and um, write some things down, you know, as the day goes on in a journal, um, just to give myself a good idea to plan for the next week. You know, so that's one thing that that is a challenge is getting content. And then also when you get the content is or when you get the ideas to create the content is, you know, it's sourcing that from 10, 15 different places to make sure it's correct. And then also understanding and learning it so you can write about it. So you're into business, you're into golf. Do you have a long term vision for Perfect Putt or is this more just kind of a side hobby? Yeah, I mean, it's a hobby. And. You know, I hesitate saying that because sometimes when you have a hobby, you're not going to try hard at it, right? So as a reader, you may be a little hesitant to to read it if it's just a hobby. But for, for me, it's a hobby because right now, and I don't want to take anything too serious. I'm really enjoying creating content. I'm really enjoying the people that I'm meeting, uh, some of the readers that reach out pretty consistently. I'm enjoying the, the people um, on social media that interact with the content. And so... It's a hobby. I don't know, Josh, how how you monetize a newsletter without charging for it unless you have tens of thousands of subscribers. Um, I know some people are really successful in monetizing a newsletter that's small. When I mean small, you know, 1,000 to 10,000 subscribers. But I don't know, you know, if that's something that I really want to pursue. That takes time. Um, and, And quite frankly, I just want to create good content. If I can create good content, everything will eventually work itself out. And if that means that, you know, you make a little bit of money off it, great. But my goal here is not to um, retire and sit on a beach. I don't think that's feasible. I think there's just five people that have Substacks right now that are making, I shouldn't say that. There's quite a few people that have Substacks that are making significant money, but I don't think there's a ton of people out there that are making money where you just go sit on a beach. And that's not really a goal of mine anyway. So right now it's a hobby. We'll see what happens in the future. But again, the goal is just to create good content. So give me a golf trend that that appeals to you or that you're following closely. So I think a golf trend right now that that is really interesting to me is the golf entertainment space. And 
what I mean by golf entertainment is you can think top golf, you can think uh, five iron golf, you can think pottery. Callaway bought top golf for a little over two and a half billion and it closed earlier this year. And if you looked at top golf's recent financials on the third quarter, I'm sorry, if you looked at Callaway's um, financials from the third quarter, top golf made 39% of their revenue and golf equipment was 34% of their revenue, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And if you look at Callaway and their flywheel and kind of what they're doing to set up for long-term success is absolutely right now looks like a business masterclass. So they're introducing people to the game at these golf entertainment sites, Top Golf, right? And also Five Iron Golf, which they recently made a $30 million investment in. And they're engaging with them with their products. And then these people may pick up the game and then they'll go and look for products and they'll say, oh, I hit this at Top Golf or I hit this ball at Top Golf. I would like to go play this ball or I like to go hit this driver. And so they'll purchase it. So I think that flywheel that Callaway has is really interesting. And, you know, Top Golf is growing relatively, I wouldn't say fast, but they're, they're growing relatively aggressively. I mean, they are building new sites. They've got a plan for 2022 of a developmental pipeline. So I think that's really interesting. And then you look at, you know, Putchak and Puttery, they're pretty dialed in from a business standpoint. And they recently got about $60 million in investment. And they're they're starting to build out their business in the United States. Then you look at the Puttery, and Puttery is a, a product of Drive Shack, which is a public company. And they recently got a $10 million investment from Roy McElroy's Symphony Ventures. So and, and what Putchak and Puttery are is they're it's it's indoor mini golf, it's golf entertainment. And they're selling, you know, they're they're getting a lot of their revenue from from alcohol and food. So you look at those, you know, those three companies right there, Top Golf, Puttery, Putchak, and then you you can even look, you know, at some other Top Golf competitors. You know, you look at Big Shots, um, Drive Shack. Um, so I mean there's a lot of people that are spending tens of millions of dollars right now in golf entertainment. And I think it's quite quite frankly, I think it's great for the game because um I think it's gonna introduce people hopefully to the game is my theory. I'm not sure if that pans out, but that's my theory, which will ultimately hopefully grow the game. So I think golf entertainment is is a huge opportunity right now for the industry. It's growing faster than the golf industry as a whole. So I think there's there's something really we want to keep our eye on there, and you know, we'll really take a look at um, Callaway's when they report, you know, Q4 and kind of see what Top Golf did there, and we'll look at the same thing with Drive Shack and kind of see how these two uh, these two entities are panning out. So the technology driven driving ranges, they're great. I know lots of people who don't play golf who have played at a Top Golf. Do you think that? something like puttery is going to gain real legs like that it'll have the same sort of traction that top golf and competitors have had that's a great question i've never thought of it like that but since you're since you're asking me the question and this is just my opinion is that probably not so if you look at putt jack and puttery they're probably not going to have the same impact on 
the golf industry and traditional golf than maybe Top Golf would. Yeah. You know, your newsletter, when you sent the that particular newsletter out, I forwarded it to a friend of mine named Joel because five or six years ago, he came to me with that sort of idea. Like, hey, Josh, what do you think about an indoor mini golf course with alcohol and food? It was sort of one of these things that was cooking in his mind. So that email got forwarded right away. But that was an interesting one to me in particular. So how can my listeners find you and subscribe to The Perfect Putt? Right on. So uh, Twitter, uh, it's read perfect putt. Um, and then also I'm on Twitter at Dorfler Jared, which is impossible to spell. So I don't know if you have show notes, but if you do, maybe maybe it'll be in there. And then the site where you can actually go and check out some of the articles and subscribe is perfectputt.substack.com. Sounds good. Are you ready for a 10-question uh, lightning round? Let's do it, Josh. All right, let's do it. First question, who's your favorite golfer? Oh. I guess it's a lightning round, but, you know, I met Graham McDowell about a week and a half ago. He was so kind of my dad. Now I got to go Graham McDowell right now. Tell that story. That's worth uh, halting the lightning round. Uh, a, a few a few weeks ago, or I guess it was in October, I just put a tweet out on a Friday that, hey, you know, golf's winding down in the colder climates. You know, it's going to be nice out. Get outside and play some golf. And I posted a video of my dad. You know, my dad can can barely walk and um, he still tries to play golf. We, we can play about five or six holes in a cart and I got to really drive him up to the tees and, and the greens and probably get a little too close, but um, it just him hitting the golf ball. Right. And this is one thing that my dad and I still get to do together, which is really meaningful for the both of us. And, you know, it got some traction and the PGA tour reached out to, uh, to me and they said, Hey, we want you to, you know, come meet Graham McDowell. Graham's mom has MS and, um, so they set it up at the QBE shootout and we went and, uh, hung out with Graham for a little bit. And, uh, my dad and I, uh, had, had an experience that, that was once in a lifetime and, you know, just hitting balls kind of on, at the back of our range and those spectators with tour guys there was pretty surreal experience. Um, and Graham McDowell could have been a nicer guy. Um, just phenomenal. The, the crazy thing about the whole story is that. In 2010, my dad and I were at the U.S. Open at Pebble, and Graham hit a ball left. And my dad and I were arguing about this before we, we met with Graham. I thought it was on hole 16. My dad thought it was 15. So, so Graham cleared that up. He goes, no, I, it was 15, which is crazy. He remembers that. It was in the third round. So he hit a ball left. And, you know, they yelled four, and, and I got out of the way, and my dad fell. And, and you know, you may think, oh, you know, um, you know, falling is really that big of a deal. It's just kind of the way it happened. Um, and then he had some things that happened, you know, sub subsequently kind of right after where he's like, something's goofy. Like, like I shouldn't be like doing this stuff should be happening to me. So he ended up getting diagnosed with MS two years later. And so it's, it's crazy that, you know, how it came full circle 11, 11 years ago, my dad can't stop talking about it. He texts me every day, and, you know, talks about how much he enjoyed, you know, hanging out with Graham McDowell and, for him, for, for him and me, it's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Um, really, really cool experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Graham McDowell's now moved up my list, thanks to that story. He's a fantastic guy. So back to our lightning round. Question two. In your opinion, what professional golfer has the best business acumen? 
I mean, you could say Arnold Palmer. I mean, I don't know if, if we're going alive, you know, like a living golfer. Arnold Palmer, you know, made under $4 million and he's worth over $1.5 today. Um, so, I mean, that's arguably one, you know, Jack's obviously done a hell of a job from a business standpoint. I mean, you can even look at Tiger. Tiger's got a lot of business entities he's running right now, too. And then and you look at some of the younger the younger generation, I'll say, and you can look at, like, Bubba Watson has made quite a few investments. Roy, Roy McElroy has got a pretty solid venture capital fund called Symphony Ventures, where he's made n- numerous investments. When you look at people like Michelle Wee, uh, Michelle Wee's getting in the mix on some investments as well. She just um, invested in a Sportsbox AI, which is a, a golf AI company and doing some really cool things. So I think that there's a lot of people starting to, a lot of professional athletes that are really starting to invest. And I think golfers are no different. I mean, and then you got, you know, Justin Thomas has invested in Whoop uh, as well. Tony Finau just invested in Hyper Ice. So, I think some of the better ones, I mean, you have to go probably Arnie and then, you know, Jack and Tiger. And I wouldn't be surprised, though, if um, one of these these younger these younger golfers ends up, I wouldn't say being bigger, but has the ability to get to a half billion or a billion net worth by the time they're 70 years old. All right. Question three. What's the coolest course you've ever played? Uh, you know what? We just had this conversation uh, this weekend with some of my former teammates southern highlands in las vegas all right now question four this question we're not worried about course slope or rating or any of that complicated stuff what's the best round you've ever played you know i couldn't even really tell you i mean i think it was 64 is and that was a par 70 but my lowest on a 72 hole is 65 well you beat me good work Favorite club in your bag? I, I, I like my four iron, but it's not for good reasons. It's because I'm always in the trees and I gotta I gotta hit a little off, you know, silly little slice around a tree, punch out back of the fairway. Love it. So question six. You've been pretty humble about this, but let's in an imaginary world, let's say you revitalize your golf career and start playing professionally. Who do you want as your sponsor? Man, Josh, that's another great question. Man, I don't know. Wheels up so you fly private for free. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. Are you talk? I mean, for from a are you talking equipment standpoint? You decide. I mean, I I've always thought that the Taylor made Adidas relationship made a lot of sense. Now we're gonna you know make this pretty clear here. I don't have a legal team, but we'll pretend that I do. We're gonna make we're gonna make sure the listeners know you're not a financial advisor. You're not a licensed trader, any of that sort of stuff. But if you had a million dollars to invest in one golf stock, where are you putting that money? Uh, Callaway. All right, enough golf. Let's talk about your home state of Iowa. So I got three questions left for you here. They're all Iowa related. So I've been to many American states. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to many American states, but not Iowa. Give me three adjectives that you think describe your state. Flat. Windy. 
and kind. People here are fantastic. Question nine. Can you name all the states that border Iowa? There's six of them. I mean, I'm pretty confident I can, but now you put me on the spot. We'll see if I can do it. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota. You got it, man. Very impressive. All right. And then last question for you. What's one Iowa experience that's worth the trip? Iowa State Fair is an experience in itself. Um, the field of dreams is always a good a good thing. I think one of those two things, if you can ever make it, it's it's worth it. All right, Iowa State Fair. I've got it on my radar now. Thanks for that. All right, Jared. That concludes our lightning round. Thanks for your time. Anything you want to plug? Hi, Josh. I'm terrible. I'm in sales, and I'm terrible at plugging stuff. So, I mean, hey, look. If if you like if you like golf, you know, go check out you know the newsletter that I write. Um, you know, it's it's awesome to support smaller things that people are starting. So Josh and I, we're probably in the same boat, right? So appreciate everyone's support. All right. Thanks for listening to Getting Off Course. If you enjoyed this episode or have suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at gettingoffcourse at gmail.com. Be sure to check out gettingoffcourse.com. And if you have time, please rate, review, and subscribe. Getting Off Course is presented by Par 3 Near Me. Visit par3nearme.com to find a Par 3 or executive golf course near you.